Hey, my podcast family, welcome to Caregiving is a Ministry, where we minister the act of caregiving in the name of Jesus. Don't forget to follow me on Facebook at Caregiving is a Ministry, all one word. We're on Psalm 79, and I'm going to be reading from the New American Standard Bible. We only have 13 verses, so I will read it in its entirety. You ready? Here we go. God, the nations have invaded your inheritance. They have defiled your holy temple. They have laid Jerusalem in ruins. They have given the dead bodies of your servants to the birds of the sky as food, the flesh of your godly ones to the animals of the earth. They have poured out their blood like water all around Jerusalem, and there was no one to bury them. We have become a disgrace before our neighbors, an object of derision and ridicule to those around us. How long, Lord? Will you be angry forever? Will your jealousy burn like fire? Pour out your wrath upon the nations which do not know you and upon the kingdoms which do not call upon your name. For they have devoured Jacob and laid waste his settlement. Do not hold us responsible for the guilty deeds of our forefathers, let your compassion come quickly to meet us, for we have become very low. Help us, God of our salvation, for the glory of your name, and save us and forgive our sins for the sake of your name. Why should the nation say, Where is their God? Let vengeance of the blood of your servants which has been shed be known among the nations in our sight. Let the groaning of the prisoner come before you according to the greatness of your power. Let those who are doomed to die remain and return to our neighbors seven times as much into their lap, their taunts with which they have taunted you, Lord. So we, your people, and the sheep of your pastor will give thanks to you forever. To all generations we will tell of your praise. Hmm. What do you think about that? <laughs> Well, I'll start off by saying we have another psalm written by Asaph. And I'm beginning to think that all of the psalms that are in, you know, that division of book three will be written by him. But we'll see if, if that's accurate. And it is a lamenting psalm. And we can understand why. God is requiring the children of Israel to sleep in the bed that they've made, so to speak. <laughs> The first part of the psalm is about a nation desperately trying to get God's attention. And they do this by being very exact in relaying to God what they are experiencing, as if he doesn't know. It's almost like they're reporters and they're talking about their blood has been poured out and their bodies haven't been buried. Oh my, as if God doesn't know. And then they start to throw in how they feel about their predicament. Verse 4 states, we have become a disgrace before our neighbors. Oh my gosh, perish the thought. Other people know, and that's exactly what has happened. Other people, the other nations around them are looking at them basically saying, what has happened to Israel? Aren't they the people of that God, Yahweh? Mm, looks like he may have forgotten them by now. So in essence, Israel is crushed and embarrassed. But they are... But I don't think they're to the point of why they actually are. I, I, I think they don't really quite recognize what got them there. What do you think? Because in verse 8 it says, Do not hold us responsible for the guilty deeds of our forefathers. 
Let your compassion come quickly to meet us. They believe it's because of their forefathers. You know, the other guy did it, not me, so to speak. My question to you is, is that true? Well, if we're honest, it's half true. It is true. It's half true, right? God does state that for their disobedience or for disobedience in general, he would punish through the generations. But does that mean that this current generation has not committed, you know, contributed, so to speak, to what they are experiencing? And I think that's also partly yes, partly not. What I want us to do is stop and talk about the difference or not the difference. Let's talk about what it means to be just. Remember, we know that God is a just God. In Deuteronomy 7, 9, it states, Now therefore, that the Lord, know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. That sounds great, doesn't it? That God would be faithful and bless those who honor him through 1,000 generations. Now, let's read Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. And this is when Moses asked God to reveal himself to him, to let, to, to let Moses wanted to see God. And so remember, he put Moses in the cleft and, and God passes by. So that's where this um, scripture takes up. The Lord passed before him proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but to who by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Hmm. God will charge the sin of one generation down to the children to that generation and down to the fourth generation. That's what that scripture says. But that doesn't seem fair, does it? You see, there's a difference between fair and being just. Fair is like equal treatment. It is equal treatment. And for you parents out there who have more than one child, you can relate to this because can you treat your children equally? Yes, you love them equally, but you know each child's temperament and you know what may work for one child doesn't work for the other, right? Therefore, you do what is best for each child considering their needs when you're administering punishment and when you're administering reward. That's being just taking into consideration what each child's needs and wants and temperaments and everything is to get the desired effect of growing them up to be autonomous human beings. If you were fair, you would always give the same punishment and the same reward, regardless of the child, regardless of their individuality. Our God is just and he's holy. He states upfront that there is a cost or requirement, so to speak, in following him. 
to follow him, so to speak, to gain his favor, to have his blessings and his protection. And for the children of Israel, up front, they needed to follow his commandments, to love only him, to serve him, to keep the commandments that they agreed upon, upon Mount Sinai. <clears throat> Excuse me. Because he is holy. He can allow, cannot allow sin. And disobedience is sin. So for them to not do what they stated that they would do in their agreement on the covenant is a sin. God stated in that covenant, which I'll call a contract, what the repercussions would be if they were disobedient. And so this is where they find themselves. But this group thinks that was, you know, our grandparents. We shouldn't have to put up with that. But why do you think God does this through the generations? That's a question that I think we can think through. Remember, we're born into sin, are we not? And so when it happens, it's like a root that is within our gen generations. And God is getting that root of sin out. And so generation to generation to generation until it is no longer there. Just my thoughts. <laughs> so when you look at these verses, right, when we look at Deuteronomy and then we look at Exodus, I still see a faithful God. Even in God dispensing iniquity to the generations, in Exodus it says that he will, he will do this through the third and fourth generations. But what does Deuteronomy say about the number of generations that will be blessed for their obedience? 1,000. Even in that, that's just. He doesn't, you know, do a thousand years of iniquity and punishment for iniquity and a thousand year blessings. No, he tempers it because he is a God of compassion. So going back to the Psalms in verse eight, if they were currently suffering, um, we may assume that they're either within that third or fourth generation, perhaps, but God is angry with them. He was angry with their fathers. He was angry with their great grandfathers. He was angry with their great, great grandfathers because he wants to dispel or, or root out that seed of sin of rebelliousness that was in that people but you know what they knew this as they crafted this song as Asaf crafted this song he, he knew that they were part of the sin that got them there the disobedience that got them there and I believe they know that because the psalm goes on to then, you know, they try to appeal to God by bringing attention to how his name is now being mocked, right? Your name is being defamed. Your name, Lord. It's, it's really not about us anymore. It's about you. It's a trick of manipulation, if you ask me. They, they're trying to appeal to God's ego, which I find funny, but it doesn't work. Right? It doesn't work. God will be faithful to his word. The psalm ends with another if-then statement, and we talked about that before or this before. 
they petition God to take vengeance upon their enemies, you know, to wreak seven times what the enemy has done to them to, to bring that on their enemies. And then what do they say that they'll do if God does that? That they will then give thanks to him and they will tell it to their children and their children's children. Well, the question is, have they done it thus far? Telling, you know, their history and their legacy of why they're supposed to follow God. One could make the argument they, they probably have not. That's why they're in this predicament. So why would they do it now? What they're trying to do is manipulate God once again. And manipulation with God especially never works. But perhaps if I was in a scenario where people were invading my area, my house, my city, my country, maybe I would try everything I could to get God to help me. But think about it now for us as Christians. Do we need to try and manipulate God to try and get him to do something to help us? No, we've accepted his offer of relationship through Jesus. And now we obey what the Holy Spirit tells us to do. We learn to walk in the fruit of the Spirit, learning to forgive, learning to be thankful to God and to trust him. And I believe that as we do this, we ensure the promise of Deuteronomy 7 and 9. Today, I think we've learned by looking at this psalm, the importance of how our actions affect our children, our lineage. It matters. And we want to ensure that we pass down blessings that flow down to a thousand generations. So what I want you to do, or what I don't want you to do, my dear caregiver, I should say, is to not believe the devil in thinking that your loved one must be within that seven generation. You know, that's why they're experiencing this, or that you, for some matter, are within that generation. You know, this season of caregiving is a punishment from God. No, it's not. When I first embarked upon my season of caregiving, I sort of did a kind of inventory check, you know, as best that I could with my mom. It was easy for me to see if there was some hidden, unconfessed sin in our life. You know, why would she be given Alzheimer's? Why would I have to take care of a mom with Alzheimer's? How difficult was that going to be? It must have been something that we've done. And the answer, of course, is, you know, we all sin. Mom and I are, you know, we're sinners saved by grace. We will still continue to sin. It may not be intentionally, but we will be. So there was sin in our life, but was there a blatant um, dis act of disobedience between mama or me? No, there was not. Therefore, I was left to look at this season of caregiving to look at mama's disease or or having the the disease as something God allowed that it wasn't punishment but somewhere in his wisdom he allowed it and yet I had to learn how to be okay with it without understanding why and the Lord helped me get there and that's my prayer for you, to learn to trust God, to not think it's a punishment, but to learn to trust God and to continue to live a good life 
of being obedient to what God has told you to do and allow his blessings to flow down from you to your children and to your children's children. You are not of the third and the fourth generation. You are a dearly loved child of God. Let's pray. We thank you, Father, for this word. Sometimes it may be difficult to digest, to know that you are a God who will extract punishment for iniquity, punishment for disobedience and sin that goes unconfessed. But even in that, you're still a good God. You showed us how even though you may punish us, you never punish us as long the length of time that you bless us. Your blessings far outweigh the punishment that we could ever receive. <clears throat> and so we thank you for that, Father. We ask that you help us because we never want to be on the hand that receives the punishment to receive your wrath. We always want to be on the side of your love. That means that we have to trust you and to be obedient to your word and to come before you when your spirit convicts us of wrongdoing, to not harden our hearts and to distrust you, which we see playing out here in this psalm, that they forgot how good you were to them, that they did not pass the memory on to their generations, that they started to do what the surrounding pagans did around them, and they forgot you. Help us not to forget you, Lord, to always put you first and to remember how good you have been to us. I pray a special prayer for the caregivers, Father, to help them realize that you are not punishing them, that you're not punishing their loved one, to just give them comfort in knowing that you allowed this and you have your reason for it, and to get them to where you got me, to be okay with it, to be okay in trusting you and your timing and your wisdom. Give them peace, Lord. Give them grace to continue to do, endure this season of caregiving. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, my podcast family, have a beautiful Saturday, and I'll see you again on Monday. Now go and minister the act of caregiving in the name of Jesus. Bye.